Welcome to my podcast Cool Down with Abhay where I bring in different people from the sports industry to come and engage in conversation with me so that you and I can learn more about the Indian sports ecosystem. Let's get right into it. So hey guys, welcome to this episode of uh, Cool Down with Abhay and I'm super excited about this episode because my guest is someone who's experienced the sport at many different levels. Uh, he's been head coach with Shillong, uh, Shillong Lajong, assistant coach with uh, Bengaluru FC in the inception year of the club, and he's also been a technical director with Pune City, and is now currently an analyst for Star Sports. So, uh, welcome, Pradyum Reddy. I'm really looking forward to this conversation. Okay, looking forward to it as well. Nice to meet you. Yeah. So, first of all, how is the ISL bubble over there? Can you tell me a little, bit, a little bit about how what it's like over there? I think we've settled into it quite well now. Um, they've uh, they've been looking after us really well. The first fourteen days when you're in quarantine is a little bit tricky, but I think because there was so much research in a way to do about the league starting, looking at new squads, players, and you don't have access to preseason games like you would have in the past. So you're relying on tidbits of information that you can get from social media and other other people inside clubs about. um what's going on who's playing obviously different teams are starting at different times so there's a lot of research to do in a way about teams and guessing how they're going to play what they're going to do so that was quite interesting um and then trying to sort of keep fit inside of a you know a room um as well so a little different challenges so you get an idea of what the players probably went through as well and the coaching staff at other clubs uh but once once the season starts then it's fun because there's a game every day so yeah. you just get in the rhythm of it you finish a game and you start planning for the next game so it's been good fun absolutely nice uh that's good to hear so uh, how i typically like to start off the podcast with my guests is i ask them how their journey into sports began so how did your coaching career begin i think you started your licenses in the us if i'm correct right i started them in the uk actually um okay was, i was at university doing a degree in economics and japanese and just was getting a bit disillusioned with that and just football's always been a passion and it's one of those if you realize you can't make it as a player then you, the next option is you get into coaching so someone had suggested the idea of doing some courses with the local fa the county fa and i did did my licenses in the first one i did was back in 1999 and thoroughly enjoyed it and found it a great experience and the instructor just recommended that since i had no coaching experience he suggested why don't you go to america and coach out there because you can work with different age groups um over the course of a short period of time for example he said you could be coaching an under 8s and under 10s and under 12s on a monday tuesday wednesday and on the weekend so you'd get three different age groups in a over the course of a season whereas in the uk probably you'd just get assigned one team because there wasn't that much of a shortage let's say of coaches so the first year of my coaching journey i spent four months in three different four months each in three different continents i spent four months in india four in the uk and four in america and just coaching at different levels of youth football and also with um uh professional was a third, second division third or third division team in the us um usl league working within that setup so i got a taste of a little bit of everything and then that's it you know you fall in love with the the coaching side of it and it's been 21 years now yeah that's that was really amazing you mentioned that in the starting of your career itself you got to coach in different continents i'm wondering how did that sort of nurture your ability as a coach it just makes you adapt i mean it's the advantage when i was in the the uk was after school with um young kids it was they work daily you'd have training session followed by a game so there was a good little simple pattern to it but this is sort of a typical sort of after school coaching so you don't really see much of the players afterwards on on the weekends um the us was a mixture of soccer camps where you're working long hours in a way but with a group of players for a week and different abilities of players i even because of the nature of the work i ended up having to do a couple of goalkeeping camps so a specialist camp where i 
learned from other former um, Rangers, Glasgow Rangers goalkeepers. He'd given me some tips, some sessions, and he'd given me a lot of the material from the SFA. So that was a segue into doing specialist role of coaching, of um, goalkeeping coaches. That was my first taste of that. And I think India was an eye-opener too, because I got to work with um, some Sai and DYSS players in, in Bangalore. Found out years later, one of them, two of them actually went on to play for India and um, actually coached one. Both of them I signed um, later on at Bangalore. So sort of football has these strange journeys as well, where you see kids at a youth level and then you see them later in, in a professional level. So that was, each one had its own sort of advantages, disadvantages and challenges. So. Nice. So uh, before, we, before we get into like coaching a senior club, I want to know how, how did coaching those under nine, those under levels that you mentioned, how did that sort of enable, give you the confidence to like make mistakes at that level so that when you re- reach the senior level, you're more experienced so that by the time you had come to India, you had already gone through the initial mistakes that you would have already been, you would have made initially, but you got past that through the academy stage, right? Um, to an extent, yeah. And then, yes, no, it's not really mistakes because you're coaching, you keep evolving and you keep learning about what works, what doesn't work. Um, when you're coaching the younger players, typically you're looking at, you know, you need to just instill the basics into them. And then as you coach, so in the same week, if you've got an under eight team and an under 10 and an under 12, sometimes you start looking as coaches, you look at your under 12s or 14s and you think these kids don't have certain things which should have been taught already. So you obviously can't go back in there. Uh, life and, and teach those younger but you start working on those things with your younger age group teams saying let's put these basics in um, even if it's simple things like why can't we teach a, a wall pass at the age of nine to kids so that when they get to this level you can work on a bit more advanced um, things with them so there's little bits like that where you learn from what's age appropriate what you can and can't do at certain ages and you make, you know, you make little adjustments to your coaching. And I think that's what coaching, uh, youth coaching is about, is making adjustments and seeing what works, what doesn't work for yourself. So, okay. so uh, what eventually brought you back to India and what was your first impression of Indian football at that time? I used to come back every winter, basically. So I'd finish around the end of November. I used to get cold in New York area. So you, the, the contracts were such, they were nine month um, rolling contracts. So you'd have to be out for three months, roughly. And just worked out perfectly to come to India in those months because weather-wise it was, you come, come to India in December, January is the best time. And while I was here, I did a little bit of coaching, as I said, with um, Sai and BYSS and some, some schools. So I was always in touch with what's going on in terms of what the levels were in Indian football compared to what was, let's say, in America or in the UK. And in 2009, when I moved back, um, just for other reasons, we had to move back from, uh, my wife and I had to move back from the US. And I actually had a job offer at the time with Man United, who were set at that time they were setting up and going to set up an academy in india um, a residential academy and they were going to bring four coaches over from the uk and i'd interviewed for that got the role within the last minute um so already halfway there in the uk when i went to meet them before on my way from the us to india um the job changed they weren't gonna open the academy they decided to go on a different route in india so that academy never materialized so i came back here with no no definite job or anything so the idea was always to try and look to do something in in youth development and it's through that sort of youth development angle that i ended up going to shillong in the first place in i think it was may 2000 or april 2010 so and then just so happened I was impressed with their facilities. I was impressed with how the club was actually set up, but unfortunately they got relegated that season. So 
it's almost unfortunately, unfortunately, because they got relegated, the coach had left. They were in the lurch. They didn't have a plan of how to or what to do in the second division and how to come back in. And I got a call from the owner to sort of help out with pre-season. Um, initially, it was just like, can you come and help us for two months? Um, I've said this many times, two months turned out to be two years. Nice, nice. Okay, so, and like fortunately for you, one of your first clubs in India ended up being a hub of football talent. The Northeast is an area which so much of our in football community, talent comes from there. So what was it like to work with the, with that atmosphere and uh, the period of time which you were taking, which you were coaching Shillong was also a challenging time of Indian football. The state of I-League in, that, in those years and how it is now is very different. So if you can share a little bit of your experience of that, that would be good. That's what attracted me to go and join that club was the fact that the first ever game I witnessed there, there were about 28,000 people in the stadium. It was packed inside and outside. People were there hours before the game. Um, the club had a proper under-16 team, then under-18 team. There was a, a local league that you could um, play your players in. So that's what initially attracted me. And when I went there, it was, um, you know, obviously it wasn't professional. Um, there were, it was, I mean, to give a comparison, I've worked to the division one college level in America. And if you compare a division one, even a division one in those days, a women's college team compared to where Shillong Ajahn, which was a, an I, former I league club at that time, um, you know, it was chalk and cheese, the levels of professionalism, um, the levels of fitness and everything. So you had to go in and put step by step, build, build those levels of professionalism into the club, um, into the players. And so that was it, was, it was a good challenge because it was literally like building from the footballing side, a club from, from the ground up. And I, it was enjoyable because everyone loves football over there so everyone's in it together so every member of staff is you know the, the, there's buy-ins from everybody from the management from the from the players and you could see everyone's going along in that journey and following following you along um but as you said in those days it wasn't you, you couldn't just turn on the tv and um, get coverage of all the i-league matches there weren't, there wasn't any highlights of the matches. They were televised one game, but the others may not be shown, and so you had no idea about your opponents um, in terms of second division teams. You had very, very little knowledge. You couldn't even. I think there was kolkatafootball.com was a website where you'd get scores of CFL matches, but in terms of you know you'd know who the scorer was, or if anybody got sent off, that little bit would come up. But, you wouldn't be able to get squad lists. It, um, internet connectivity alone was a bit limited back back then in, in the northeast. So very difficult to track, know much about your opponents. So pretty much going into games blind at times in, in terms of what your opponents are going to be like or what they're going to do. And what about the mentality of the players during that time? How would like from your from transitioning from the US to here? How did you approach that? I think that one of the first things I mentioned to the club was we got to look at their fitness issues because if you're not fit enough to play, and this is obviously pre-season, then how are you going to build up on things? So we ran a couple of fitness tests with them, the old beep tests and this and that and a couple of other things. And it was a shock to me. It was a shock to um, the management as well that where the players should be in terms of their fitness. Because all of a sudden it was accountable. It's not just a subjective thing saying, all right, they're not fit enough, which is a standard thing, an easy thing to say. It was, look, this is where your fitness levels are. This is where they need to be. And you could then, you're measuring it. It's tangible. And then the players were also, you had a comparison within your squad of where am I compared to the other player? Why is he starting? Why, why am I not starting? Or things like that. And then just little bits of, get on the first training session I went to, players were all wearing different kit, different socks, different things. So it was just, um, you know, a shock in a way that you couldn't just put bibs on one half and say that team versus this team because the others were also needed. So little things like that, which slowly had to be streamlined and get it, get into it. But, you know, credit to La Jong's, the staff and the management and everyone over there because everyone helped along with that 
that process at that time. Nice. And you you had mentioned earlier that uh, when you took over, they had just been relegated to the second division of the I League. So, uh, can you walk me through that entire the season pro- process of you? So eventually, by the end of the season, you were able to get promoted back into the I League. And uh, so, walk me through your process of how you uh, took on that challenge. The challenge in those days was you had no idea what what was happening next in terms of from from an AFF point of view. So we. Started training was just getting the players fit and you're looking for some practice maps. So we played against uh, an army team up there and um, just to assess one of the foreign strikers that an agent was trying to push us, a, a Nigerian striker. And based, basically on that one practice match, had to make a decision whether to sign or not to sign. So we opted in those days to sign him before the deadline. And then there was a tournament in Guwahati, a famous tournament called the Bordeloi Trophy. So we got an invitation, you drive down from Shillong and you take part in this tournament and the first game was against technically a foreign team. We played a a club called Three Star Nepal and beat them 1-0, missed a lot of chances, but you could see some of the things that we were working on were coming together. And so you would just basically in those days, you play tournaments which you got invited to. There was no, I mean, there was a Shillong League, but we'd opted to let a lot of the youngsters play in that rather than the first team players and so in the midst of this tournament so we qualify for the for the semi-finals um we won we won two matches we qualified for the semi-finals you get a, a call from the aiff saying there's a federation cup qualifier and as a relegated team you have to take part in this along with three other second division teams the winner of those four goes through to the Fed Cup with all the other I-League teams. And so Lajong, the previous season, although they'd been relegated, had made the finals of the Federation Cup, which was played in, in Guwahati. So they had, there was expectation that Fed Cup is there, you know, they're a cup team rather than, even though the league form, whatever happened. So all of a sudden, we just had to pack our bags, jump on a plane and end up in Silcha in another part of uh, Assam and leave this tournament. So we basically got our reserve team, which is in Shillong, to drive down and take our place in the tournament and play the semi-final. So I used it as a motivation with the youth coach and the players and said, look, whoever impresses the most in that game in the semi-final or final, if you guys want to win it, one of those youth players will be promoted to the senior squad um, to play and will come to the Fed Cup. So there was an incentive for the youth and I think there is a pathway from the youth that the head coach is looking at us and there, there would be some kind of reward for doing well in the youth team. So was it a good motivator in the end? Did they perform well? They did very well. Unfortunately, I think they lost to one of the, I think it was a top team from Bangladesh that um, beat them. I'm not coming the name of the team at the moment. But it was a team from, um, from Bangladesh that beat them in the semis. And there was one kid, a striker, who was working hard and, and another player. There were two or three that the coach had suggested. And as luck would have it for that kid, when we played in Silcher, so we, we brought him up then, he was from that region as well. He was from the area of Assam. So it's extra motivation for him. Being, you know, his family could come and watch. And we beat um, Oil India and Nisa. And to qualify for the for the Fed Cup. So this kid came along with us. And as, as I said, luck would have it for him. The Nigerian striker that we had signed injured his shoulder and was out mm-hmm. of the Fed Cup. So this kid well, automatically, not only was he in the squad now, he's probably getting it a chance to get some minutes as well. Yeah. Um, as it was in those days, literally, we won the qualifier. The next day, we had to fly uh, to Bhuvanesh, Katak, to Orissa via Calcutta. We missed our connecting flight because of a delay, so we lost out on a day. So we basically arrived in in Qatar the day before our game against Mombaga. That, that's wow. how that's how disorganized the football was in those days. So yeah, no this is exactly what I what I was talking about. From it was a different era of Indian football in the I League, and the, the challenges you must have uh, gone through, even off the field. Forget about the quality of uh, football with the team, but even in terms of professionalism off the field, there were tremendous challenges that you must have faced. Right? You you've suddenly arrived. You you've played in Silchar, 
which doesn't have any connecting flights to anywhere in the country apart from, I think there was a flight to Calcutta and flights to Guwahati. Mm. Just two airlines in those days that flew there. And you've now got, they've obviously haven't really put much thought in it, the qualifiers that you put, you win over there and then you, you basically have to end up in Qatar. So you would have got there two days before your first game, done the manager's meeting, um, had one training session in this new weather conditions, new ground conditions, etc. apart from the fact that you've just traveled half a day probably. And so we arrived and I had to play Mohan pretty much on 24 hours notice. And at this wow. point, don't forget, I still don't have a contract. I was just there for two months. So I was just, I'm going to help out the team. Um, and all of a sudden now you're playing Mohan Bagan in a Federation Cup first round uh, game. And yeah. you know, there's media, there's this, there's that around. And, you know, typical, obviously, a lot of Kolkata media is there for the Fed Cup asking you everything about, you know, typical question like, well, you were finalist last year, so what's the aim for this thing? You're thinking, well, I have no idea because it's <laughs> nothing's been sort of, um, I don't even know if I'll be here in, 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 a, in a month's time. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, pass forward uh, to 2013. Uh, so, when Bangalore FC was getting uh, founded, uh, Mandata Mandi has mentioned that you were a crucial part of the construction of the squad, basically. So, I wanted to ask, so, uh, BFC was actually my first introduction to watching live football because I'm from Bangalore. So, that was the first time I got to actually experience watching it in a live stadium and everything like that. And... Uh, something that fascinated me in the first season was, if I'm correct, a lot of the players were very unknown. Some of them were even retired, come back from retirement, if I'm correct. So can you uh, walk me through that setting up a football club and scouting for the entire squad? I mean, I was in Pune with a club called DSK at the time, which was we were just building that club from scratch. They had never played in the second division or never even played at any level outside of Pune. And that's where... I knew Manda from Pune days and we'd interacted a little bit before that he was involved. So when I interviewed for them, I was the only coach who interviewed for them with a full plan of what to do with this new club. So not only in terms of style of play and what I bring as a coach, also had a recruitment plan of which players to go after. Because don't forget the I League already existed. There were a lot of teams already set. So coming in as a direct entry team, you, you basically had to cherry pick players off of other teams and pay a transfer fee or go out and get players who were, who were available, effectively players that nobody else had wanted. Yeah. So that was a little bit fortunate that when I joined DSK, I was in a similar situation where I had to recruit players brand new for a club. So I opted, obviously, with a smaller club like DSK at the time playing in the second division. I looked at a lot of the I-League clubs and looked at what surplus they had. So, for example, like um, Karim Ben Sharifa, Salgaoka, I knew him quite well. And he had a couple of players that, like Malangamba Mate, Keegan Pereira, and a couple of others that they'd signed but weren't using them in the I League. Mm. And, you know, they'd only pretty much played Goa Pro League for them. So, made a call to the club and said, Look, if you're not using these players, can we take them off of your books? So, Keegan joined me at uh, DSK. And similarly, the Pylon Arrows had about um, more than 30 players in the, on their roster, in the squad, based in Calcutta with Arthur Papas. So I called Arthur and asked him again, saying, There's, you know, you pretty much can only work with 2025. So he said, yeah, but happy to let you have these 10 players. So I got the likes of Brandon Mete, Siamangal, Shankar, Vikramjit Singh, and a load of other quite talented young India under 23 players effectively because they were in that um, developmental squad. So we stitched together a lot of these primarily so that you could pretty much say it's an under 25 team um, or young players who had potential. So I pitched this option to Mandar and the guys and Mustafa Bengaluru saying, look, there's this players that we can, I'll bring into the club. We just need to obviously stitch in a little bit of experience yeah. with them. And that experience, you start looking around and you realize there's players like Reno Anto, who've you know, won the I-League. Uh, not, um, he, he 
basically been offered something, but won't begun by the last minute they pulled out on the deal. And he was back thinking, I'm going to go back to Kerala and take up a government job. There were guys like Gurtej Singh, who had just won the I-League with Churchill Brothers. But Churchill in those days used to have a squad of 40. So you know he's not going to get too many minutes. And we could entice him to come and join us. So there were um, lots of players, like NS Manju, national team, former national team player, experience, but people just had that notion that oh, he's injury prone. He had recently taken up a government job in Bangalore, so he couldn't leave Bangalore, but he could play for a team in Bangalore. So, um, Kutti Money was another one that Bangalore boys, because we felt we needed a little bit of local connect as well. Yeah. So there were, it was just, you know, smart recruitment. And then foreigners, someone like Johnny Manyongo, who played in India, would help connect with if you bring other foreigners as somebody who's got an experience of playing in the league and as a senior pro you know you bring that sort of calmness to the dressing room and, and just the environment with the yachts with a lot of younger players around someone to keep the younger ones in check yeah. so it was just yeah you, you have that's how you have to build squads you have to take a little bits of everything and with what resources you have and i think you know to this day they're still benefiting from a lot of that and obviously Manda brought his expertise to it as well, having been with the national team. He could then, you know, pick up the phone and then convince Sunil Chetri to join. He could convince Robin Singh to join. Because they were the tougher cells in a way because they didn't want to come and join a brand new club where I remember Sunil saying to me in the first week, he goes, who are all these players? I've never heard of any of them. And by the, shortly afterwards, he wasn't complaining. So. <laughs> yeah, so uh, so uh, something that really attracted people to the club was Ashley Westwood. So I was wondering, uh, from your perspective, what was it like to work with him and what did he introduce to the game that you hadn't seen before? Enough. Ashley wasn't the first choice for the club. There was another coach who was signed and supposed to be joining. Okay. And the initial recruitment, I did a lot of calls with him. And that fell through in, um, in, the, in the last minute because he chose to stay on at Cambridge United. And then Ashley came in when a lot of the recruitment to an extent had been done. And Ash then brought in the likes of John Johnson, Curtis Asano. And together we <clears throat> both, through different sources, knew about Sean Rooney and Sean Rooney uh, joined the club. Uh, I think in the first year, Ash was brilliant, brought in a lot of professionalism that was evident in clubs in, in the UK and he put those best practices in um, Bengaluru and the fact that the management bought into a lot of that like it's could you elaborate on what those practices are simple things like the players typically in those days in an Indian club you'd show up at the ground put your bags on on the side of the ground train and go home mm. whereas I had the privilege at DSK where we were on site so the players would all have breakfast together then we'd go to the field and then we could all go to the gym. We had that at DSK. Um, so we brought that in at BFC. So we had that building. Players would come in in the morning. We made sure that there was an area for them to eat, a dining area, a kitchen, everything. So the players would have food, would get their tapings and anything done in the, with the physios. We'd have testing, hydration tests, etc. So all these kind of science, sports science side of it go out, train, as soon as you finish training, lunch. So there's a clubhouse environment, which, you know, some of the Kolkata clubs have this, um, which existed to an extent, but it wasn't done in a professional manner where the food, you're actually looking after nutrition, what kind of breakfast you're providing, what kind of lunch you're providing, the little windows of opportunity to rehydrate players and nourish them immediately after training. The fact that heart rate monitors, we were measuring um, things like this. A, a lot of the sports science data we were collecting pre-match and pre-training, post-training, during training as well. We actually had live um, feed of heart rates and et cetera when we were training. So we could adjust training accordingly um, in pre-season and to see which players are getting better fitness-wise, which players are still struggling, et cetera. So there was a lot of that aspect um, that was new to Indian football, which hadn't, hadn't been done. Ever. I mean, I think without without the first club to be using heart rate monitors, using uh, then later the second season when we brought in the um, stats sports, the GPS, all those kind of things. Uh, again, nutrition, supplements, gym sessions. That was a big part of pre-season as well, where we 
normally built um, sort of gym area inside the clubhouse. We also used one that was nearby, so you could you could do double sessions within a day, but within a sort of club environment as opposed yeah. to having to break it up completely. Yes. Okay, so um, uh, you, you brought up uh, Menyonka earlier. He was one of my favorite players from that first season. Like, I, f- I felt that he was the heart of the entire team. Like, every attack forward, he would be the one starting it. In the defense, he would be coming back and everything. So I was, wanted to ask, what, uh, what kind of impact did he have on the entire squad in, behind the scenes as well? Because I'd obviously worked with uh, Johnny at uh, La Jong. I'd signed him at Shillong La Jong after having coached against him. He was with uh, United Sikkim in the second division and we played them yeah, a very good game against us. And uh, So we stayed in touch and I signed him at La Jong. And then after I left, he moved to Dempo and he was available. And initially, Ashley didn't want him because he wanted and he does. He said, I don't play with a number 10. I want my triangle the other way around. I need a deep lying playmaker as opposed to a triangle the other way. But I think after the first, so he wasn't impressed with the way Johnny played in terms of the videos he had seen for Dempo. But then the first training session, he instantly realized that oh, this guy's a good player. My first thing was like, okay, this guy's a player. He knows how to handle himself. He knows how to handle the ball. Because your typical, your first impression, you look at a player that's not that big. You don't expect anything. But when you see him with the ball, it just changes your perception. So he, it was a, had to try and convince him now to play in a role that Johnny was unfamiliar with, having to play as a sort of, if you could use the term defensive midfielder, but um, it was a you know, deep-line playmaker. And I think the first game that we played was against the Indian national team, where Vim Kuhlman's had his camp. So we were missing supposedly our two best Indian players at the time, which was Sunil and Robin. And... Everyone was nervous. We're going to play the India team without Sunil and Robin. We're going to get beaten five or six nil. I think even Sunil was going around telling us. This was the game that happened behind closed doors in Bangalore. Right? Yes. Yeah. I remember this. Yeah. It wasn't really closed doors. People came in. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but um, I think Sunil was, because people in the India camp were asking Sunil, what's your team like? This, that, and the other. And they'd obviously, they were sharing the same facility. So they'd see us training and they'd say, oh, you guys do a lot of running. You do a lot of fitness. You don't seem to do much, you know with a ball, which is different to the way the Dutch coaches, um, Wim, Wim at the time was doing a lot of this stuff. But, so even Sunil didn't think the team was good. He told some of the guys, oh, we probably went four or five nil against them. So we got wind of that. So which pumped up a lot of the other boys were thinking, oh, we'll show them. Yeah. Um, because in, honestly, in those days, and I still to this day, but there's not that much of a difference between the guys who get selected for the national team and the ones who aren't. Let's just say, if you put an India B team together and an India A team, probably not too much of a difference. Yeah. We had Johnny Manyonga, John Johnson, Curtis Asana, and Sean Rooney had just arrived on yeah. Martin. So the first half, we absolutely battered them. Um, I think Sunil couldn't get in behind because of Curtis's pace. Jo- uh, Robin couldn't win a header because of Jono. And from, yes, Yamangal won the penalty when Jingen brought him down, and I think Johnny scored it. So that changed everyone's perception all of a sudden. The people watching like Mandara and everyone else thought, hang on a second, we're not, we look half decent. And this is without Robin and Sunil, we look, we look decent. And we're playing against the best Indian players. And in the second half, I think Vim made about nine changes to the squad. Oh. Uh, brought fresh legs on and Lenny smashed one in the top corner. And it was 1-1. But just coming out of that game, everyone all of a sudden, mind changed. Like Ashley suddenly thought, hang on, we're, our players aren't, if that's the best Indian players, and there's not that much difference in our players compared to yeah. them. And the management suddenly felt, wow, we've, we've got a chance this season. We're not going to be finishing bottom. It's a brand new club. No one had any expectation. And I think for those fans who managed to sneak into the stadium, and obviously the word got out, even though it's supposed to be behind closed doors. So people, I think that created a little bit of a buzz already that you drew against the Indian national team. This team, yeah. it's something about this team. Um, and I think that confidence, and that's also possibly one of the reasons why Sunil didn't start in the first game for BFC, because we had a good, because they were away at India camp, we had worked on a, the same group of players working together. Everyone knew how to play with one another. So we okay. didn't want, actually didn't want to break that in the first game going in into the season. 
Okay. That's nice. I'm, I remember being at that first game itself and um, regardless of the impact of the preseason, it, uh, Steve Chetri getting subbed on, I think, boosted the morale for everybody at the stadium as well, like watching the game, added to the atmosphere. Um, and uh, so we won the league also in that first season, which was amazing. Nobody had expected that initially. And it was the first time I got to attend an open open top bus parade back there, which is right. amazing. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, let's uh, go on to the next chapter, which is Pune City FC. Um, you became a technical director over there. So what was your role? How did your role change? And how did you approach the club over there? Initially, after leaving... BFC in 2016, I actually had a couple of offers from Delhi Dynamos in the ISL to work with them. And so the first season, I didn't want to jump straight. I needed a little bit of a break after three years at BFC. So I opted to help them in a recruitment side of it. So I brought in, helped bring in about half of the Indian players, the second half, like the likes of Sana Singh, Keen Lewis, Rupert, Milan Singh, and a couple of um, Sorum Pore. There's about seven signings of, um, of in, young Indian lads into that uh, into that squad, was, which Zambrotta had, and they had a pretty good season after that. So that gave me a little taste of, okay, ISL and what it was like. So there were a couple of offers the following year and between F- FC God, Pune, Kerala Blasters and a couple of others. In Pune, I was impressed with the facilities that they had at uh, their training ground. And, you know, they were pretty unsuccessful in the first three seasons, hadn't made the playoffs, spent a lot of money and done very little with it. So it was a good challenge to sort of take on to see what one could do with this club. So I wasn't going to just go in and be just an assistant coach, which I didn't even know who the head coach was going to be at the time. Um, so I wanted a more longer role, especially because the leagues were shorter then. You've got to think about what you're going to do in the other t- rest of the year. So we had a half-decent, they had a lot of young players at the club, a deep, half-decent under-18 team. And so you could do a lot of stuff in the entire football ecosystem of that club. So that's why the role of a, a technical director. So the first uh, few months was working on that, the youth side of it, because there was no senior players. There was going to be a draft. So effectively, all the players you had last season, you know, you start, you just rip that up and you're starting from scratch because there's a draft. So we went, um, the youth team were doing well. Obviously, Pune standards, it's, you're going to win the Pune League. That means nothing. You've got, we were in the under-18 I League. We got to the, uh, you know, the group stages in, in Calcutta. So you go and, we played against Lajong, East Bengal, and I can't remember the other team the under 18s played against. And we lost to East Bengal, we beat um, Lajong, and we beat the other team. And you could see which players you think, okay, he could be promoted to the senior team, or he might be ready in a few years. And also you're looking at it relatively, relative to the opposition. You're looking at kids like Mehtab Singh at uh, East Bengal, and a couple of other players, Liston Kalaso at Slagauka, Edmund, the AFF 11. So you get, you're seeing a lot of these top talent from that age group in India, which is also important as a technical director. You've got an eye on what's coming up, not just in your club, but in the other clubs as well. Yeah. And then we chose to keep the boys in Calcutta after we lost and take part in the IFA Shield, which, which happened shortly after that. And the boys won the IFA Shield. We beat Mohan Bagan in the, in the final. And again, you go there, you watch the likes of Deepak Tangri playing centre-back for Mohan Bagan. So you, you're keeping an eye on a lot of what's happening. So when you're going into the draft now, you know, okay, we've got these kids that we could promote. We've got some will probably be ready in a year. Some will probably be ready in two years. And you're starting to plan that way with your club So when you go into the draft. So we, there's a lot of strategic planning for the draft. We picked up good players. We, you know, we won. I think we qualified for the playoffs. It was the first time Pune, the only time they ever qualified. And the more interesting thing is what you do with those players that you can't promote to your senior team. They're no longer under 18 because they're now 18, 19. So we opted to 
loan a lot of these players out. So we had, I think at one point I had 13 players out on loan in the I League or second division. Most of them in the I League, the likes of Gaurav Bora, Tarif Akund at Chennai um, City, and they go on Wind League with them. Uh, Moirang and Bilal and a couple of others went to uh, Gokulam. Sebastian and others in Sebastian's now playing for Niroka. So we had pathways for these boys of how you, how are you going to get from under 19 winning IFA Shield to the first team? It's not a straight line. For one or two players like Ashik, it's the straight line. For somebody like Yasir, it was go on loan to FC Goa, play in the Goa Pro League second division, get some minutes and then come back. So you'd have to, some of them it was like Sahil, Abhishek Halder, uh, Ashish Wright was go play with the Arrows. So we loaned them to the Indian Arrows with Floyd. So you know that they're playing under a good coach like Floyd and then getting developed in the positions that you want them to play. Because sometimes if you loan them to um, other clubs, as a, they might get played out of probably their best position. Like, for example, a striker in an I League will end up like Gunny, would end up being used as a winger at Gokulam. Yeah. Whereas by going to the Arrows, you knew that Sahil Panwar will develop. It was, pretty, it was Floyd's captain for him. So he got to play in the position and develop himself as a player. So those were the pathways he had to chart out for the youth. And I, it's great now to see a lot of them playing in the ISL. That even if it's not for one club, they've all managed to find their way as footballers. And, you know, you see the likes of Gaurav Bora starting, Ashish Rai. I think, um, obviously, Ashik. And loads of these kids now are all starting for different ISL clubs. And it's good to see the sort of progress of, them, of these kids. So, so you, you you spoke a little about developing the youth players and that being an important aspect. So I want to ask you the flip side, the recruitment process of most clubs in our country. If you look at it, uh, most uh, most clubs don't even have a scout un- under their coaching staff. So um, what do you make of the entire recruitment system we have right now? And what do you think maybe we could do better? See, in those days it was... Because of the draft, you had to know your players and be strategic about which ones you picked in that particular season. Afterwards, it became, um, see, a lot of the, there's a lot of what I call myopic scouting that happens in, in Indian football, where people just look at, you start looking at the other ISL teams and you think, he's done well this season. He's only on a one-year contract. Let's get him at the end of next season. And when the people open up their eyes a little bit more, you start looking at, oh, he's done well in the I-League. Let's pick him up. You cast your net a little bit further, you're seeing some players from second division teams being recruited directly into ISL teams. Yeah. Uh, I think there are very, very few clubs and few guys in India that go and cast their net a little bit wider, go and watch uh, youth tournaments, whether it's a Subrata Cup, whether it's uh, Goa Pro League, whether it's Calcutta League, BDFA in Bangalore, uh, Mizo Premier League, etc and go and identify players who you think, you know, they might not be ready for your first team straight away. That would be great if you can spot someone and you get them in directly and it works. I think probably Chennai City FC are the best at doing that at the moment. Um, so there's two ways. You can be lazy, which is you let Chennai City FC do the scouting, get the players, let them play in the I-League first, and then you pick them off of Chennai City FC and pay a transfer fee. That's one way. And, a lot of, yeah. and credit to Chennai City FC, the likes of Nanda Kumar, um, Ajit, Ajit Kumar, you've got so say, loads of players have come through there and are now playing um, in the ISL. Edwin Vanspol last night. So there's that way, or you can go out and do what Chennai City are doing, and and go on and look for this because there are good players all across the country. But it's a matter of how do you go out and find them. I think Goa FC Goa do a good job of that as well. So it's gotten a lot better now. Um, I think clubs are assigning roles for people in the club to go and do that. Sometimes, may not necessarily be like, oh, we have a head scout, maybe somebody who works in the analysis um, side of the club that has this additional role to do that. It might be the head of youth development whose job it is to, to do that. So they might not just wear a hat which says I'm, I'm chief scout of this club, but they might have other roles in the club and they do, they do that quite well. Yeah. So, um... Uh, that season that you were with Pune City as a technical director, they ended up being the highest finish ever in the ISL from correct even up till now. So that that's tremendous, tremendous job, job for that. that. Congrats. Congrats. And um, after, uh, so right now you're currently an analyst with Star Sports. 
So I was wondering, how did that change your perspective? Did has that changed your perspective of the game, looking at it differently? Not really, because see, the second season with uh, Pune, the head coach was relieved of his duties after three games. I had to step in and and take over the team, and you take over basically crumbling ruins of a team. The staff have left, and you've got to pretty much pick up the role of three or four people when you step in, and left them in a much better position than when we're picked up. So to the end, you you know. One they they never beaten Kerala Blasters. They never won in in the south of the uh, South India. So we won one nil away to Kerala Blasters. We won two nil against um, a very very good FC Goa team. Um, Lovera's uh, FC Goa beat them two nil at home. So you left the club in all right. Now the defence is fixed with keeping clean sheets. You left them in a a good place for someone else. And when you when you're coaching as a head coach, you're obviously looking at your opponents before the match. So you look at after you finish Kerala, you don't sit there and all right. Great, we beat up Kerala, but you just move immediately on to right. We have how are we going to play against FC Goa? So you're looking, what do we do the first time we played them? How are we going to change that? The difference when you come into the TV role is all of a sudden now you you have to look at 11 teams almost. Like our preseason preparation, as I mentioned at the start of the call, was you're looking at the squads of all 11 teams. How's someone going to play? So for example, tomorrow I have to prepare myself for how's Mumbai going to play. And also, how is how are the opponents going to play? How is um, Odisha going to play? So you start looking at Odisha's last two games. This is what Stuart Baxter did, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera, as well as what um, Sergio did with uh, Mumbai. Yeah. So almost like double the work in terms of analysing. It's not one opponent; it's, it's two teams you have to look at. Yeah. And when it finishes, normally in a league structure as a coach, you'd have a week between your games. You finish that game, and you can work on your next opponent. Uh, whereas here yeah, it finishes and you've got the next game um, with the TV role, so it's a different um, way of working in terms of timelines, etc. But it's it's an interesting challenge because some of the things that are obviously the same. You still watch it, irrespective of whether I was doing the TV work or whether I was the head coach of a club or I was a technical director of a club. I'd still be watching tonight's game of Northeast versus East Bengal. I'd still be making mental notes of individual players. I'd still be making mental notes of the tactics of both coaches, and you'd still, if we, if anybody like me, and if you and I bumped into each other after the game, we'd have a conversation. Anybody in football would. Yeah. What did you think of Robbie Fowler? What could he have done? You know, we're all, as I say, everyone's a Monday morning quarterback, right? Everyone has an opinion that he should have done this, should have done that, etc. So those things don't change. If you're in football, you're, you know, those are the constants in your life. Yeah. So now it's just you get to voice them. Some people won't like what you say. Some people, you know, will agree. And that's the same, you know, when you're a coach in a club. Yeah. But has it, has it um, helped you appreciate the analysis side of the sport even more? Um, I've always been quite strong on the analysis and data side of it. Um, so that's, um, it's good that you, you get to have more uh, tools to work with gadgets and stuff like that as well um, that you can, you can use and the advantage is there's no pressure like you can turn around and say I think this is how Odisha should play against Habas's team to break them down and you can identify it and say that and if it works great if it doesn't work great the end of the game I mean you empathize now a lot more as a somebody who has been there like I wouldn't have wanted to be in Stuart Baxter's shoes that night to lose in the 95th minute of yeah, again, and it's heartbreaking. But because you put in so much preparation, everything the game plan has worked until that last kick for the game. And so you, you know, there's some things which you think oh, I'm glad I'm not there. But it's you also then, you know, you you get a bit sort of mature about certain things where you because you're you're sitting you're sitting on the other side of the fence now, so you can see how that has a knock-on effect and so it'll probably when you go back into the role of coaching you take some of these experiences as well and um, the media experiences and use that to to again just improve yourself as a coach yeah so now i think now you spent around 10 years in the indian football ecosystem if i'm, if I'm correct right Seven, yeah okay, okay. So, so how, 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 how do you, you think how have you witnessed indian football changing from the time that you've come and how it how is it now compared to then? And do you think 
there could be things that could be improved or not? Do a lot of work with the coach education now with the AFF. I'm an instructor on um, on the coaching licenses and on some of the committees for where we you know, looking to change some of the curriculum and stuff for different licenses. So I've definitely seen from a coach education point of view, it's improved massively in the last uh, 10 years. And you could see how the coaching courses were run then. We didn't have things like a e-license, a d-license, etc. We didn't have the pathways for people to get into the coaching profession. You didn't have specialized goalkeeping courses um, and all that. So there's a lot of improvements on the on that side. That's obviously going to have a knock-on effect. It'll take many years, but it'll the more qualified coaches we have, we'll start producing better players. Similarly, I think if you look at youth football, because of the rise in, in the urban areas with soccer schools and and in, now with the baby leagues in, in other all parts of the country, you can see that the technical ability of young players is getting a lot better. So if, like if I looked at how the under 12s were at La Jong in 2011, and you look at under 12 players now, 10 years later, I think the level has definitely risen. And that's across the entire country. Mm. And you look at then as you go up the ladder, you look at the fact that there is an under 15 league. There are some, some of the states have their own under 15 leagues and under 18 leagues. Obviously, Goa has it, Tasa Goa, and all these for many years. You could see that the level of players at that level is getting a bit better in terms of tactical understanding, etc. And then when you get to the senior level, what was like at Bengaluru, we were the only team that used a proper training ground, you know, have a clubhouse use of, G, let's say, with a GPS and uh, all those kind of things, like Hartford, Montes, etc. Now that's become the norm. Yeah. Every team uses it, every club. Uh, no one had a goalkeeping coach back in the Ivy League in those days. Yeah. Now everyone has a goalkeeping coach. There's, everyone has a fitness coach. So there's a lot of things which have improved in that aspect of Indian football. The training grounds have gotten a lot better. The stadiums have become better. The actual playing surfaces have become much, much, much better. So there's, there's a lot of um, things that have moved in the right direction in the last 10 years. So is there anything you feel is missing and could still be worked on? Yeah, definitely. I think where we were 10 years ago and where we are now is like there, but it probably should be a lot higher. And I think you always have to, just like when you're comparing your players, you have to compare yourself with other countries. And, oh, yes, we've improved in 10 years, but let's say, for example, at Vietnam or, or Thailand, someone who was in our sort of geograph geographical area, similar in terms of, let's say, rankings of football, how much have they improved over the 10 years? So I think we should sometimes you compare yourself. Let's not compare ourselves to Germany or, or, or the UK or Japan yet or Qatar, but look at how some of those countries, where, where were they 10 years ago? And not just the easy way is just, ah, let's look at their rankings, let's look at our rankings. I'm not talking about just the senior team. Look at every aspect. Look at under 15 levels, look at under 18 levels, look at infrastructure. Um, what, is a, what are the pathways for a kid in other countries? And what are the things we need to improve for the pathways for both players as well as coaches, for everybody in the sort of Indian football ecosystem? And then you plan for the next you know, five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan. And I think we're a little bit lacking in that side of planning. We don't know what's going to happen year to year. Obviously, this year is a challenging year. Nobody knows what's going to happen. But, like, we don't know what the pathways are going forward. And that, I think, is where we probably have to start improving quickly. Yeah. So you touched a little bit on the coach education. You are you are someone who has traveled the world, getting many different licenses, which has I think given you different perspectives of the sport. So I want to ask um, for a young coach who may be starting out now, um, what advice would you give to them in terms of is it important to go out, get that exposure, learn something new, come back and then implement it, or go through the system here? Like, wh what advice would you give them? It's it's everyone has to, you know cut their code according to the club. If, if you have the resources and you have the opportunity to go abroad and get some exposure and um, learn from different coaching schools, by all means do it, I highly recommend it. If you can't, which most people probably can't, then there's more than enough within our coaching 
ladder that you can work your way up to your A license, Pro license, and and get the knowledge. But see, people make the mistake of thinking coaching licenses are knowledge. That's just a license. It's just giving you. It's like a rung on the ladder. What your coaching ability and etc. That's what you learn from your own personal experience. So that can come from how much you choose to read, who you choose to follow, and what you actually go and implement from trial and error on the field. And I think the biggest learning that I've had and many coaches would say is internships or mentorships. So you go and find somebody that you can go and watch. If you're a young coach, go and watch more experienced coaches, somebody who's worked, go and watch. If it's youth coaching that you want to get into, go and watch some other youth coaches. Go and study what sessions they're doing. Ask them questions after. Why did you do this? How can you do this differently? How would you do this differently? What would you do if you had less players? Blah, blah, blah. So you, if you go and immerse yourself, because nowadays the tendency is, uh, I need, I'm going to play like Barcelona. Go on online, 101 Barcelona drills or 101 under 12 possession games. And you can just download them and every week put out a brilliant session plan and it looks fantastic and colors and cones are here then and it looks great, but it's not yours. It's not something that you created. So when you start creating, let's say, your own session, you're putting your own thoughts process into it. And if you go and critique yourself afterwards, oh, I could have done this differently, I could have done this better. That's how you sort of your evolution as a coach. And if you've got someone who's experienced or you can go and watch somebody else's sessions, um, that's even better because you're just getting more knowledge into you. So if you can go abroad and learn, the advantage there, there's more football. So you could go, if you were abroad and you could watch, let's say if you spend a week or two with some club somewhere, you could watch an under-12s coach and an under-14s coach and an under-16s coach, under all within the same week. Yeah. And on the weekend, you could probably go and watch their games as well. So to see what their game day is different from the training, as well as seeing how much of what he implemented during the week, he or she implemented during the week, is reinforced or transferred. You get that transfer of learning on the weekend. Whereas here, you don't necessarily get that opportunity, especially the game side of it. Yeah. So I think that's, so there are definite advantages of being able to go abroad and, and immerse yourself. And obviously different styles of doing it. There's, you go to Holland, things are going to be different than they are in Spain than they are in the US or in England or Brazil for that matter. But you've got to remember that when you come back and for that same matter, what's happening in Mizoram will be different than what happens in Goa or Punjab. So you've got to then, that's where your knowledge comes in saying, how am I going to adapt this to my, my players, my surroundings, um, rather than just, you can't copy paste something from somewhere, somewhere else. Yeah. Uh, in Stephen Constantine's book, uh, there, was a ch- there was a chapter where he mentions that uh, when Mourinho had come to the US for one of his pre-season friendlies, he would watch his uh, training sessions and he would try to emulate them in his own team. But what it and it didn't work out uh, because it, it, his team couldn't adapt to it and that taught him a big lesson of um, you can't just copy, you have to have the time and error process, you have to have a team that can actually adapt to the training sessions and the mentality and everything like that. So that I think that's a really important point for coaches to keep in mind. Uh, so uh, we can end soon, I just have one last question to ask you. What? Sure. Yeah. yeah. So, so uh, I have, I have one, one last question, question, which is, uh, are we going to see you uh, coaching again and w- would you want to take over an ISL side? You'll definitely see me coaching again. Um, not, I haven't retired. Um, I mean, if the if the right opportunity comes with um, an ISL team, yeah, by by all means, I'll take it. But um, there's, see, I think you you're still coaching when at the moment I'm I'm enjoying the fact that I'm getting to coach coaches, and that's something that I think I'll continue to do irrespective of whether I join a club um, next season or not. Um, because that's sort of a, a passion that I'm going to continue doing, which is coaching coaches. And I think, because ultimately, I think for us to improve, we need players to improve in this country. We need to have better coaches. Yeah. So that, that's um, a passion. And in terms of, for me, whether it's an I-League, ISL, any team, um, I, I enjoy being on the field. So it's definitely, definitely be back on the field soon.
So thank you so much for being a part of the podcast. It's been a really, really insightful conversation, and I hope that people watching this would have learned something new from it. And yeah, thank you for being on. Okay. All right. All the best, man.